Well, good morning. Great to be here with you and great to be sharing in your relationship series on the Father. You know the, uh, the old story, it's, it's an oldie but a goodie about the professor who had a group of students and he had this big beaker, big jar on the table and he put the rocks in it and then he asked uh, if the jar was full because the rocks consumed most of the area in the jar and they said yes and uh, then he put in some stones and shook it. Then he asked them, is the jar full? And they said, yes. And then he put in some smaller pebbles and he shook it and he said, is the jar full? And they said, yes. <laughs> and then he put in some sand and he just kept pouring sand and shaking it until it was, you know, flush with the top. And he said, is it full? And they said, well, surely this time, yes, it's absolutely full. And then he got some water <laughs> and he poured the water in. And of course, it permeated everywhere through. And the point of it was that once everything else is in, once all the sand is in, once all the gravel's in, once the stones are in, if at that point you try and put those big rocks in, it's impossible. The big rock, the big rock in the life of Jesus is his relationship with his father. It was foundational in every single thing he did. Now, in, in churches, in church life, in the life of Christians, there's so much other stuff that happens. There's so many shoulds and oughts that you hear. You must read the Bible. You must have a prayer life. Uh, you must be connected with other Christians. You, you know, you mustn't forsake the assembly of the, of the believers. Must, 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 should, 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 ought, ought, ought. I tell you, all those musts and oughts and shoulds, they're the sand and the water. They're not the foundational thing. Am I saying don't pray? Am I saying don't read the word? Am I saying don't get together? I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that that all flows out of. It doesn't lead back into. You know, you can have a life that's full of duty. You can have a life that's full of obligation. You can have a life that looks like the rich young ruler. Good teacher, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, well, you know the law. And he goes, yes, this, this, this and this. Teacher, all these I've observed since my youth. And he wasn't being a bad boy. He wasn't being obnoxious. According to the letter of the law, he was a truth man. He believed it and he did it. And Jesus says, you know what? There's so much more. There's an adventure of living loved and living loving. Go, sell everything you have and come on an adventure with my father and me. And the Bible says he, he went away sorrowful because he had many possessions. He chose sand and gravel over the rocks. And the rock in Jesus' life is his relationship with his Father. You know, it says in John, one of the phrases that's there in the Gospel of John, again and again and again and again, especially in John chapter 5, that Jesus only did that which he saw his Father doing, which he heard his Father talking about. When his disciples said, Jesus, teach us how to pray, he said, pray like this. Father. And when the relationship with the Father is the bedrock in our lives, then it affects positively, liberally, our sexuality, our generosity, all other relationships, our parenting, our friendships. All of that flows out of a relationship with the Father where we are so secure in our identity as sons and daughters that nothing will sway us from the reality of the song that we sang before, I know who I am. You know, it's all about whose, who and whom. Whose are you? You're the Father's. 
Who am I? I'm a son. I'm a daughter of the Father. The who comes out of the who's. Without the who's, there is no who. And when I don't know who I am, I don't know to whom I'm sent. I don't know to whom I'm connected. I don't know to whom I'm called to minister. Just before I get into my message properly, uh, you know, this relationship with the Father, it's not some wishy-washy, soppy sentimentality. Oh, it's just God loves you. You know, this is robust. You see, God is ascending God. For God so loved the world that he gave. The love, the security that we have in our identity as sons and daughters, the love of the Father, it's robust, it's big, it's bold, it's, it's audacious. And it's sacrifice. In uh, John chapter 13, at the beginning, it says, Jesus, knowing where he had come from, where had he come from? The Father. And knowing where he was going, where was he going? To the Father. Jesus, knowing where he had come from and where he was going, took off his outer robe, put on a towel, and began to wash his disciples' feet. Please, if you've ever thought that, you know, oh, the Father heart of God, it's, it's just sort of dumbing down Christianity. No, this is it. This is the rock in the life of Jesus. Twice in the Gospels, we, we hear uh, that the audible voice of God, you know, in a way that you can actually hear like you're hearing me now, not just sensing it. Twice the audible voice of God is, is uh, recorded. In Matthew 17, on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus is physically transfigured, uh, a voice comes from the cloud and it says, This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. In Luke chapter 3, Jesus is baptized. And as he comes out of the water, it's incredible. Three, three things happen. Firstly, uh, the Bible says that the heavens are opened. Secondly, the Spirit descends in bodily form like a dove. And thirdly, the Father speaks. And then when the Father speaks, he says three things. Firstly, he says, this is my son. Secondly, he declares his love over him. He says, I love him. I'm well pleased with him. And thirdly, he gives him a nickname, beloved. I love the message paraphrase. This is my boy, pride of my life, and I love him. In my imagination, I hear the father shouting, Hey, everyone! Here's Jesus! This is the crack in human history. Everything before this is old covenant. Everything after is new. He's my son. He's my main man. He's my boy. And I love him. And then the father, in my imagination, goes, I don't just love him. I love, 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 love him. And this is before Jesus has called a disciple, turned water into wine, done any miracle, given any sermon on the mount. Before Jesus has D.O. done anything, the father declares his love over him. Why? Because the heart of the Father is a heart of love. I first had an encounter with the Father heart of God at uh, a church in Amsterdam on my way back from Africa. Spent a lot of time in Africa and, uh, and Asia uh, teaching, equipping the saints. I love what you said before. <laughs> you, you don't wait till they know everything before you send them out. 
when they've got Jesus, send them out straight away. That's when they're most contagious. And uh, when they run out of what they know, they'll come back and ask for what's next. Yeah, what we do in, in big church in the West is we, we say, you've you got you to have three years of knowledge, then we'll send you out. And by that time, they've lost all their, you've lost all your contacts in the world. Yeah, just take the love that you've got and be contagious. Spread a virus. Cough Jesus over someone. You know, I love that. Meeting. I've got a chapter in my yellow book out there from meetings, M-E-E-T-I-N-G-S, to meetings, M capital E-A-T-I-N-G-S, because Jesus just eats and drinks his way through the Gospel of Luke. It's, uh, it's his modus operandi. He brings the heart of the Father by meeting with people. And he's so secure in his love that he meets with all the wrong people. Have you ever noticed that in the Bible? He's always getting it in the neck from the goody two-shoes because he's hanging out with the wrong people. That's because Father is ascending God. So I was at this, um, on my way back from Africa, and uh, I was spent. I wasn't even going to go to church. I, I, I sat on the, in the plane on the runway at Entebbe Airport, and I looked out the window, and I said, God, I never want to see this God-forsaken country again. So my prayer partner who traveled with me, his name's Case Vesseling, and his parents lived just down the road from Schiphol Airport. So we were staying at their place, and uh, his sister said, you want to come to church on Sunday? And I said, no. Sunday morning I woke up and the Holy Spirit said, I think it'd be good for you to be there. Anyway, long story short, uh, the first half of the service was translated for me because it was in Dutch. I had these headphones and then the second half, there was this guy called Ian Ross from Canada uh, speaking. And he was speaking on the Father Heart of God and, and uh, it was probably a, an hour sermon. The first 20 minutes was introduction. At the end of his introduction, uh, before he began his message, he prayed this prayer, Father, we come today to seek your heart, not just your hands. And in an instant, like uh, in a nanosecond, I, I had a realization of the despondency and the despair that was over me. And it's because uh, when I was in Africa, you know, every time you, you share the gospel, and every time you do the equipping, and then you ask for prayer because you're releasing them into their, their call, uh, every time they come forward for prayer, it's, please, can you get money for school fees? Please, can you get money for a new bicycle and things like that? And, 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 and I thought, man, they're so preoccupied, understandably, please hear that, understandably, they're so occupied with the things of God's hands that his heart seemed to take second place. And in the same nanosecond, I had a, a vision of us in the West whose hands are so overflowing with things and toys and side issues and distractions that we think the abundance of our hands equals the provision from God's heart. And so we also don't go for his heart. And so God's got these kids all over the world who are preoccupied with the hands and we don't get to the heart. And this guy just prayed, Father, we come today to seek your hands, not your heart. And I just started bawling right where I was there. I was just a crying, slobbering, beautiful mess. And I say beautiful because as, as despair was being wept out of me, the heart of the Father was being implanted within me. By the end of that service... Um, when Ian laid hands on me to receive the Father heart of God, I, I could have hopped on a plane and gone back to Africa uh, because scriptures came alive, scriptures that I knew, but had never seen Father's heart in them, came alive in a new way. And, and now I can't read anywhere in the Bible without seeing the heart of the Father because that's, that's where Jesus was. You know, it says in, in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. 
And then it says in John 1.14 that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth, which is a beautiful combination, because if you have all grace and no truth, you can end up with sloppy sentimentality. If you've got all truth and no grace, you end up with someone who's a bit hard-edged. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. You know, there's one translation that says... uh, It's God, the only Son, who is at the Father's side, who has made him known. I don't like that translation. I'm not picking on it. I'm just saying, if I'm at at someone's side, then they are there and I'm here. But the the original word, and the, the New King James translation has it perfectly, is the bosom. Jesus, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has made him known. Now, what's the bosom? The bosom's that place on the sternum, between the breasts. And I've got, I've got grandkids, and I've just come from a grandkid's place the other day, and, and when they're crying, when they're colicky, when they can't be soothed, you place a young baby on your chest, and it, it's on your bosom, and it hears your heartbeat, and its cheek is against your heart. And as, as the baby hears your heartbeat, it's soothed. And the Bible, not Peter Stikey, the Bible in John chapter 118 says that before time and space were created, you know, those two dimensions that confine us and define us, those two dimensions that say either there is a God or pass me another bottle of bourbon, you know, before time and space were created, the Bible says this is where Jesus was, in the bosom of the Father. And then... After the Father and the Spirit spoke light into being, at a point in human history, the Father and the Spirit got together and said, Son, we've got a job for you to do. And Jesus was planted as a seed into the womb of Mama Mary, and he heard two heartbeats. He heard his mother's heartbeat, and he still heard Papa God's heartbeat. And then he was born, and at the age of 12, he was in the temple, and he heard that heartbeat real clearly. As the Father said to him, as he, as he turned, you, you guys heard this on the weekend, as he, as he transformed from a, a child to a son at age 12. And he says, Father, I'm going to be about your business, which means I'm going to be about the things of your heart. And then at his baptism, he heard the father say, Son, with everything that's about to come, you're my beloved. My heartbeat, it's there for you. And so he called his disciples and he ministered and he showed them the Father's heart in word and in deed. And then on the cross, carrying the sin of the world, he cried out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit or Daddy, I'm coming home. And when the Bible says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, The Bible also says that you and I are seated in heavenly places with him. I don't picture for a moment a big throne in the middle with a smaller one on either side, but I picture this, that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, for him and the Father are one. And he's the fullest representation of the Father's heart to us. When you get Jesus, you get all of the Father that there is. There is no Jesus, there is no God outside of Jesus. 
And you have access to everything from the Father's heart because Jesus gives you access and he gives you access because you're a daughter, because you're a son. Last year, my mother died. Two weeks beforehand, I'd lost my wallet. Looked absolutely everywhere for it. Couldn't find it anywhere. Finally, I had a thought. I visited Dad. Maybe I left my wallet at his place. Dad was at the hospital visiting Mum. I couldn't get in because of COVID. So I gave Dad a, a phone call and I said, Dad, I know there's a keypad around the side of your house. What's the number again? And he gave me the number and I went in. Why? Because I had access. Why do I have access? Because I'm a son. And then I got the phone call at 2 o'clock in the morning. Your mum's died. We can't get hold of your dad. Well, that's because he takes his hearing aids out at night. So uh, I let him sleep for a bit longer. And at 5 o'clock, I went down, put my phone torch on the keypad, keyed the number in, got the key and went into my father's house. I didn't break in. I went in. Why didn't I break in? Because I'm a son. And I've got access. And I've got access because my father's given me access. And I went into his room and I woke him up and I said, mum's gone home. And he says, hallelujah. You know, the father gives you access to everything that's in his heart. Everything that he has, he gives to you. Romans chapter 5 verse 2 says, doing this one-handed. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, who we have, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And Ephesians chapter 1, I love this scripture. It's a, a beautiful summary of everything that we have and everything that we've been given. Ephesians chapter 2, sorry, verse 17. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near, for through him, that's through Jesus, both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So you have access to, access to grace, access to all the fruit of the Spirit, access to every resource of heaven through Jesus. This access comes primarily through an encounter with your heart. And from your heart, then to your mind. You know, Romans chapter 8 is uh, probably my key chapter in the Bible. I believe in Romans 8, you get the opposite, in a good way, of everything that is lost in Genesis 3. It says there in Romans 8, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery, verse 15, to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption or a spirit of sonship. When we cry Abba, Father, which means Papa or Daddy, when we cry Daddy God, it's that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Now, what does it say? God's spirit bears witness with your spirit. Now, you are body, Soul, mind, and spirit. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. I believe your spirit. With all your mind. With all your soul, your emotions, your feelings, your responses. And with all your strength, your body. And, and so God's spirit speaks to our spirit. And it's a heart-to-heart it's a -heart connection. God's heart to your heart. Uh, a Ugandan preacher said to me one day, 
you can know more primarily, you can know more primarily believe God with your mind than you can see with your ears. You see, the thing is, your ears are made for hearing and your eyes are made for seeing. Now, the mind is not the enemy, although it can be. The mind is not the enemy, and I'm not dumbing down the mind because Paul entreats us again and again and again that we are to have the mind of Christ. But I get the mind of Christ from the Spirit when God's Spirit speaks to my spirit. And God's Spirit speaks to my spirit against all logical, rational, external evidence and says, Peter, you are loved. And I can come up with a whole list of reasons why I'm not lovable. Why it's not true. Why it's not right. I can come up with a list of my failures. I can come up with a list of my sins. I can quote Psalm 130 verse 1. If thou, O Lord, shouldst mark iniquities, Lord, who should stand? Certainly not me. And so my mind can't understand grace. My brain understands karma. That makes sense to me. That's logical. I do something bad, someone does something bad to me. I do something good, something good happens. That kind of makes sense to me. Grace is ridiculous. Grace is illogical. That's why in John chapter 1, he says we've received grace and truth. And he goes on then to say, but we need grace upon grace. Because it's grace that breaks through the parameters of the mind in a spirit-to-spirit encounter where we can actually say there is a creator being of heaven and earth and he's not out there somewhere, but he's a personal God and he invites me to call him dad. And that transforms me from being a divergent member, Christian, believer, into being daughter, son. Because it's not about where you park your butt on a Sunday but it's about the Father who is in your corner every moment of every day of your life. And so that's why Father's heart is firstly received, then believed. In John chapter 1, it says, Jesus, the Word, verse 10 following, was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. That's tragic. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. And here it is. But to all who received him and believed in his name, he gave the right, the authority, the privilege, the power to be called children of God, who are born not of blood or of the will of flesh or of the will of man, but of God. Note the order. Note the order. Received then believed. You see, because the Father's heart is firstly received, I still can't believe the, the enormity of God's heart. You know, some, some mornings, all good? Uh, some mornings when I wake up about four o'clock and I can't get back to sleep, I lean over and I cuddle my wife, Julie. And, and not all the time, but sometimes I just get this overwhelming sense, not that I'm batting above, but, but how blessed am I? What, what? This, this woman, I mean, she hears all my old age bodily noises and, and uh, you know, she sees the hair in my ears that's not on my head and, you know, she hears my dad jokes and she hears all that and she still loves me? What? It's just, 
It's just the most powerful thing in the world. It's unimaginable. My brain can't understand it, but my heart receives it. For my heart not to receive it is a slap in the face of her love. So what I can't believe, I receive. And that's what John 1 is saying. But to all who received him and believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So in a world that's fixated on rights rather than responsibilities, I want to tell you today, there is a right that you have, and that is the right of your adoption as a daughter or a son, because he is your father. And it's believed, not primarily in the head, but in the heart. You know, can we just have a a little bit of Greek 101 here? One of the interesting things is that the word faith, the word faith uh, gives to us, uh, the word faith in the Greek is the word pistis. And when we think of the word faith, we think immediately of trust. The verb for pistis is pistuo. So pistis is the noun, faith or trust. Pistuo is the verb, we translate it believe. Now, if I was to interview 90% of Christians, if I was to interview 100 Christians, 90% of them would think that belief has got to do with the the rational side of the mind. It's got to do with creeds and dogmas and confessions and sentence constructions and, and right doctrine and good, firm belief because we've got to stand in the truth. But I can tell you there is one truth that is primary. And that is the truth of the love of the Father for you. Out of that all other truths flow. And so in John chapter 11, Lazarus has died and uh, Jesus is a bit late going there on purpose because uh, he wants to show them the glory of God. And when he gets there, Martha comes out and meets him and, you know, standing with six gun out, she goes, Lord, if you had been here, those such accusing words, if, if, and if you, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus goes, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And he who dies believing in me, he who lives believing in me will never die. Now, Jesus isn't asking her to understand the doctrine of the resurrection from the dead. You see, I've got grandkids, as I said before. One of them's about 15 kilos. Her name's Tildy, beautiful little thing. And if she's standing on the bench and I'm walking past and I hold out my arms to her to get her to jump, she doesn't go, hmm, right. (laughs) Physics here, gramps, strong but diminishing, (laughs) reasonably proficient. I'm on a bench that's 1.5 metres high. I weigh 15 kilos. When I jump, I'll be going downward. My velocity will be such, yes, all things considered, I will jump and then I believe that Gramps can catch me and off she goes, no, before I'm even anywhere near her, Tildy's throwing herself into my arms because she is faithing. She is faithing, she is trusting out of a relationship that exists, out of a Gramps that she knows. And she's not concerned at all with the physics of it. And so Jesus says, uh, I am the resurrection and the life. Let me get it right this time. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And he looks at Martha and he says, do you believe this? 
He's not saying, do you cognitively understand what I've just said? Because it makes absolutely no sense to her whatsoever. He's saying, in the face of death, which we will all die, he said, are you trusting in me? Are we, have we got a heart-to-heart connection here? And, and it's this, she goes, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. She's going, in the face of the death of my brother, Jesus, I'm trusting you, which means I'm believing you heart to heart and then her mind falls in step with her heart and she begins to have the mind of Christ to think like Jesus to see father through the eyes of Jesus to see herself as a joint heir along with Jesus to see others through the eyes of Jesus to respond through the eyes of Jesus to be generous like Jesus all that coming out of her mind which comes from her heart which her whole body is enjoined with As I, I'm not closing yet, but as I draw to a close, I want to read a chapter from one of my books. I've got books for sale out there, and, and all of them end up basically with chapters about the Father, Heart of God. The, the, the three that are shaped like this, uh, each chapter takes less than five minutes to read. Husbands and wives, um, fam, why don't you read a chapter before you go to sleep at night? Just get on the same page with each other. Anyway, this one's called So Personal. For 26 years of my life, there was only one man I called dad. You would call the same person Lance. Then, after gazing into Julie's eyes in the Nil Lutheran Church and sharing our promises of I will, I went to shake the hand of another man I could now call dad. I've got to tell you, it felt awkward, even weird. My father-in-law, Eric, to you, is a fantastic man. A man of faith and loyalty with a heart that's always ready to serve. I can discuss Jesus, sport and chooks with him. His approachability was never in question. It's just we hadn't shared the same history together. I wasn't sired by him, had not grown up under his roof. He was not the man who had walked with me through the highs and lows of growing up. Hence that awkward first post-wedding handshake. Yet I did it. We shook hands, slapped each other manly on the shoulders a few times, and I called him Dad. Dad is a personal name. So personal that I'm fully aware some of you reading this may find it painful to reflect on. Perhaps for you, the trust of a dad was betrayed, or your dad was remote, absent, around the house but never quite present, not in the way you would have hoped anyway. Maybe you never knew your dad or perhaps you feel he was disloyal to you when your parents broke up. For whatever reason, learning to call God Father can feel awkward, even weird. For some, learning to call him Dad can be downright terrifying. Enter the Holy Spirit. Cue the Counselor. Here comes the Helper, your Advocate. One of Holy Spirit's greatest privileges is to take people who feel awkward and weird and lead them deeper into a relationship of intimacy with God, a place where they can call Him Father. That's what the Bible means when it says that God has sent the Spirit of Jesus into our hearts so we can cry out, Abba, Father. Calling a man named Eric, Dad, was a step of courage and trust for me. While odd and even A little embarrassing at first, it became easier as our relationship grew. Calling God Father may be the same for you. 
Here's one specific way Holy Spirit can help you. Whatever you have called God up to now, I invite you to go one step deeper. If you've called Him God, why not try addressing Him as Heavenly Father? If Heavenly Father, perhaps venture into calling Him Father or Father God. If you talk to Him as Father, maybe go deeper and call Him Dad or Daddy God, which is a direct translation of Abba. A friend of ours calls God Papa because it's a personal expression of intimacy. There's a beautiful fruit that grows as the Holy Spirit leads you to speak with Father God personally, calling Him by name. It's intimacy, a connection of the heart. You begin to experience a greater degree of comfort and affection. It may feel awkward at first, perhaps a little weird, but as it becomes more natural, it is also oh so personal. There's a lady called uh, Bilquist Sheik, a prominent Muslim woman who wrote a book called I Dared to Call Him Father. Her unusual journey to a personal relationship with God not only put her life in danger, but it turned her world upside down and became a source of blessing to many people. The title of that book, I Dared to Call Him Father, gave many people permission simply by its title to go from God, Creator, to Father, Abba, Papa. And from there, to seeing their identity, not as church attender, believer, or Christian, but as daughter of the Most High God, as son of the living God. A joint heir with Jesus, which means you also get given the nickname, Beloved. Be loved, Beloved for you are if you would like to receive an impartation of the Father heart of God I know this is messy you know coming down the front there's there's no better we could do this up the back we could do it out in the paddock we could do it in the car park but in in asking you to come down the front or take two meter steps forward from where you are I'm saying could your body have a physical shift to bring your mind into alignment with what you are right now sensing and experiencing in your heart. I'm not going to beg you. I'm not going to ask five times, but I'm going to ask one more time. If you would like to receive an impartation of the Father heart of God, would you stand where you are and make a move forward? Well, there seems to be plenty of space at the front, so those of you who are standing, please come down the front. There's plenty of room over the sides here. I know a few of you, but I don't know most of you. But I can just imagine what a truckload of disappointments and hurts and misunderstandings are collectively standing here. What a bunch of hopes and dreams, along with some shattered dreams are. 
Do you know God's not fickle? He's not on you, on your good days and off you, on your bad days. Do you know the prodigal son was no more loved when he was reinstated than he was when he was feeding pig swill to the pigs? Just think about that for a moment, please. He was no more loved when he was wastefully spending his father's inheritance than when he was reinstated. You see, I got four kids. And I can tell you that on their bad days, my wife and I just pray for them more. We start thinking creatively about how we can reconnect, how much money we have to transfer. You know, we haven't got an endless bank like the Bank of Heaven. So just imagine when you're in Pigswill, what the Father's thinking. He's thinking up plans to reinstate you, to reconnect you, to be extravagant for you. And he's not put off by how you smell. The aroma of grace covers the smell of pig's wheel. So I want you to put your hands out in front of you right now, please. Because the Word of God says, to all who received him. And I want you to pray out loud after me. Father, Father God, Abba, Father, Papa, Papa God, through Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, who is called the promise of the Father. I receive from your heart everything you have for me. And I want you to take those hands and place them over your heart. And from your heart to my heart, I receive in my heart grace and truth, grace upon grace, This is really funny. You know, you know when uh, you're downloading something on the computer and you see a whole lot of little files coming down across your screen. I just, I just see files coming from heaven. I just see Father's heart coming down. And right now, he's, he's, um, he's renewing your whole operating system where you've been operating from the perspective of an orphan. Right now, he's, he's, he's renewing you. Uh, not, just, not just a little bit, but he's, he's, he's giving you a whole new... This isn't just a defrag. Uh, this is a whole new operating system where you're now going to be operating not as an orphan, but as a daughter, as a son, where you're not going to be striving. Because how can you strive for a love you've already got? But it's going to be a seeking to go deeper into his heart, seeking seeking more of, 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 uh, of, of how he's got you on this journey with him. And these files are coming down from heaven and, and, uh, and they're coming into your heart. Now I want you to place your hands onto your, one, one hand on your heart and one hand on your mind. Just say, Father, from our heart, we receive in our mind your heart and we receive the mind of Christ. You know what I said? I don't know. My brain doesn't know, but I know that spirit to spirit was just speaking a blessing over you.
He's saying that there are things that of the Spirit that we will never comprehend in our mind, but the mind of Christ, the mind of Christ is about more than comprehension. It's about thinking like Jesus. You know, the root word repentance means to have a rethink, to have a think again. And so from Father's heart to our heart, from Father's heart to our heart to our mind, we get to have a rethink about how we see ourselves, a rethink from the perspective of the kingdom. And now if there are any parts of your body that are in ailment, I want you to place your hands on whatever part of your body is is ailing you right now. One hand on your heart and place that other hand on the part of the body that is ailing you because we're knit together. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So Father, from your heart to our heart and from our heart to our bodies, we speak restoration. Just repeat after me. Father, in the name of Jesus, from your heart to our heart, we speak restoration over our bodies. Now one hand over your heart and one hand over your gut. I'm not saying your emotions live in your gut, but we often feel it in our gut. So after me, Father, from your heart to our heart, we speak to our soul and we say, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, praise His holy name. We receive a knit together soul, body, mind, and spirit from your spirit because you are a good, good father who loves to give good gifts to his children. We close this time by, uh, by declaring this verse together. Please, whole, whole congregation, repeat after me. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, through whom there is no shadow or variation due to change. Amen. You know, that scripture just means he's not fickle. He's steadfast. He's true. We sing about it all the time in Divergent. I've only been here three days, but all we sing about is God's faithfulness. I'm on board with that. (laughs) What we're saying this morning is that we're going to start believing the faithfulness that we sing about. And we wake up in the morning, instead of going, oh, crud, it's five degree frost out day. The first thing from our lips is, good morning, Papa. What have you got for your girl today? Good morning, Daddy. What have you got for your boy today? And when there's something that goes wrong, we say, Father, what is there about you and your heart that I'm missing that has me responding like this? When you get angry, when you've had a fight, instead of going over to a corner and beating yourself up, go back to Father. Father, what is there about you and your heart that I'm missing that has me responding this way? I can't remember which book it's in, but that question's in one of the books. I love this place, not this building. You know, I love you because you're the church. <laughs> and uh, so good to come over here to Canberra, get a bit cold and uh, know that I've got brothers and sisters because we share a common father. To, to meet some brothers and sisters from Indonesia and go, man, we're just all doing the same thing in our own gardens, wherever he's placed us, sharing the love of a father with a world that's full of spiritual orphans. Live loved, 
Live free, live loving. Amen.